Amen. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 100. What a glorious hymn to begin our text this morning. We thank you for joining us this morning. We hope and pray the Lord would bless us with his presence and with his word. Psalm 100, the old 100th. Again, let us read. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Dear beloved, as we approach once again this 100th Psalm, may we do so with great anticipation and gladness as well as great humility and reverence. For though the divine invitation is to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and that with gladness and singing, it is before his presence that we are divinely summoned to come. I fear there is a lack of understanding of what true worship, biblical worship is in this generation of believers. Nothing has brought more contention and controversy amongst many than the worship of God. Therefore, it's important for us to understand what Scripture says about the form of worship the manner of worship which His people are to bring before God. We are not supposed to invent our own devices. God does not allow us to worship Him in accordance to our own understanding, but in, in accordance to His Word. For though many would believe this great psalm to be merely divine instructions on how we are to praise God. Beloved, it is infinitely more than merely divine instructions. But it is a divine summons. A sovereign edict. Not only unto all the lands, but also unto His servants. Though we find within this psalm instructions on how we should praise our God with thanksgiving and song and gladness, yet in many ways it is a divine summons. First to all the lands, by sovereign right as Lord, Jehovah God, creator and ruler over all things, and that to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, the Word of God says, all ye lands. 
For though they long despised and rejected God, the unredeemed principalities and powers and all the demons in hell shall one day be sovereignly summoned to make a joyful noise, a joyful shout unto the Lord God Jehovah. It's amazing how the psalmist said, this shout be, shall be a joyful shout. It'll go against their very fiber, their fallen nature, to shout with joyful noise before Jehovah God. Yet Jehovah God shall summon them to make a joyful noise unto God. No one, not even the redeemed and the principalities and powers, not the demons in hell, shall not make a sound before God that is not joyful. They will be constrained to make a joyful noise before our God. What an amazing thought. Every tongue shall confess. Every knee shall bow. Confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. But the psalmist doesn't stop there, but uses that as an introduction to invite God's servants into His presence. This is most amazing. As the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, is a manner or form by which we must base all our prayers upon. I believe Psalm 100 is also like that. It's a manner or form of how all our praise should be brought before God. I believe there should be an essence of everything in Psalm 100 in all our praises to before God. He begins with all creation, takes us up to the highest heaven, Claims his sovereign right as creator and God over all things. And then he comes down to the servant. This is what I find most rejoicing about this psalm. Then he comes down to his servant. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. What a contrast between verse 1 and verse 2. Where they're constrained to make a joyful noise. And yet the servant is to come with gladness. Before the presence of his God with singing, not a noise, but singing. The divine summons in verse 2 goes out to every true servant of God. An invitation, the divine summons to come before the presence of the Almighty God. Listen to me, with gladness and with singing. With an assurance that He is God, the Lord, covenant keeping. Know that the Lord, He is God. The Lord Jehovah is God, a covenant keeping God. What a difference between verse 1 and the following verses. How intimate and personal the psalmist makes the singing of praises of God's servants in comparison to the unredeemed and the lost and the demons. What a vast difference. Oh, all creation shall make a joyful noise unto the Lord. 
Yet the servants of the living God shall sing with gladness and joy in the presence of God. Though this glorious psalm declares the divine truths and motivations for the true servant's gladness, his singing, his giving thanks and praises to his God, yet he doesn't come to be instructed on these blessed truths. The psalmist doesn't say, come before his presence to be instructed. Listen to me very carefully. The psalmist doesn't say, come to be instructed. The psalmist says, come with. Come with these things, with gladness, already in his heart, with singing on his lips. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Don't come empty-handed. Don't come with a empty heart. Don't come with a downcast spirit. Don't come depressed. Don't come with depression. Come with singing. Come with gladness. He doesn't say come and get it. He says bring it with you. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm telling you, many Christians miss out on what real true worship and praise and thanksgiving on Sunday can give them because they do not come with gladness and with a song upon their hearts. They come with a burdened heart and no melody in their hearts for Christ. You need to be prepared. You need to bring it with you. If you come to expect that, that's not giving God honor and glory. God says, prepare yourselves. When you come into my presence. He doesn't come to be instructed on these blessed truths, but he comes with gladness already in his heart and singing, like I said, on his lips. His entrance into his gates come already with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It's already with him. He didn't come to be instructed. I've listened to quite a few sermons on this text over the last few weeks, and the majority of people address this passage of Scripture as though it's instructions on how. No, it's not instructions on how. It's a summons. It's a divine summons, a divine sovereign edict on His servants. You come before the Lord with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that madeth and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Therefore enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. It didn't say come to be instructed in these things. The psalmist says come with these things into the presence of God. The divine subject of praise and thanksgiving. Because the divine subject or the object of it is itself infinite, eternal, and whose greatness is unsearchable. Beloved is a divine subject which cannot be taught either by men nor angels. The object of our praise is the eternal God. How can you teach that? We sang the the hymn, the psalm that says, In His presence is unending praise. Continual. Proving that 
There's no end to it in such a manner that even the created beings like angels and cherubims can sing without end because there's no end to it. The object of our praise is not a something temporal, but is the everlasting, eternal God whose greatness is unsearchable. He's immaculate. He's infinite. He's eternal. The object of our praise cannot be taught by men or angels. can only be taught by God, the Holy Spirit. Oh, men can pin down hymns and psalms. Men can pin down words. But the true spirit and heart of praise must be taught by the Holy Spirit of God. These praises shall never find end. Eternity itself shall not silence its divine song, nor prove to extinguish or quench its joy and gladness. Think about that. Someone would think, after a while, wouldn't you get bored in eternity of singing psalms and hymns? No, because the object we're worshiping and praising has no end of itself. There's no end to God. There's no end to His perfections. Oh, how little we think of God when we praise Him. Eternity shall only prove to enhance and intensify our songs of praise and thanksgiving. Never shall it grow old in eternity. Never shall it be redundant. How can my praises ever find end? Through years unnumbered on heaven's shore, my tongue shall praise Him forevermore. This is how vast the subject of praise is. Never ending. Because the object of our praise is never ending. For the Lord is good. Verse 5. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Oh, I'm telling you, if that doesn't create joy and praise with inside of the heart of a child of God, nothing else will. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Do not underestimate or be too quick to move on to the gladness and singing unto which the servant is divinely summoned before you understand his lowly position. People are so quick to get into the happy part of it, the gladness of it, the singing of it. Most worship and praise is self-centered. 
in this day and age of men loving themselves. It's all about us. I want a worship service that makes me feel good. If I go into a worship service and they're simply singing psalms and there's no accompaniment, there's no drums, there's no piano, there's no orchestra, there's no band playing, that I, I, it doesn't do nothing for me. It's not supposed to do anything for you. Most what people call worship in this day and age today is centered around the flesh, around self. But notice how this summons, this divine summons, calls on the servant to be glad. Don't overlook these three words, serve the Lord, because they're vitally important. For all true praise and thanksgiving can only be sung with gladness, therefore glorifying to God, as we acknowledge and own our humble state before God. We're servants You see how the psalmist makes it clear with the word serve the Lord? He immediately lets us know our state before God. We are nothing but servants. Praise begins at the lowly state of a servant. Not as one that expects it, deserves it, merits it, or earns it. It's that of a lowly servant. That's how praise begins. You remember the Queen of Sheba when she came to see Solomon? She said the half had not been told concerning his wisdom and prosperity. Yet that is not what impressed her the most. You don't impress her the most. It was the happiness or blessed state of his servants, she said. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. That greatly impressed her. She thought these servants are blessed because they stand in your presence continually and they hear your wisdom all the time. She said, they must be blessed and happy. Beloved, how much more should we be blessed and happy to be in the presence of God as servants? To see and experience all His goodness and His mercy and His grace? Should not the servant of the living God be even more happy, blessed, and glad? was divinely summoned before the presence of God. Because you know what sets our hearts to singing? Listen to me. You know what sets our hearts to singing according to this psalm? It's gladness. Happy. Blessedness. That's what sets our hearts to song. We're glad. Beloved, God would not have His servants enter into His presence with anything less than gladness. Do you know how often we have failed in this? Coming to the worship, coming to the house of God, and our hearts are not filled with gladness, but despair and sorrow and sadness. You said, but preacher, I've had a hard, long week. You have a huge, big God. 
who is good, whose mercy is everlasting, whose truth endureth unto all generations. Know that the Lord, Jehovah, He is God, Elohim, covenant-keeping. He hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That produces gladness. For if a sad and depressed servant was not allowed into the presence of an earthly king, and they were not, a king would not have a sad and depressed servant in his presence because it was a delight to be in his presence. He would lose his head. You had to have that state, that air of happiness and gladness because you're in the presence of the king. If an earthly king would not have such a thing, so much more the living God, the heavenly king. Give an example. The king, though Nehemiah didn't say a word, the king noticed the sadness of his countenance. Why? It was unusual. It was forbidden for a servant to approach the king in a state of sadness. And the king took notice of sad countenance and said, Nehemiah, why are you of such a sad countenance? Because it said he'd never seen him. Nehemiah never went in his presence. When we come to the house of God, dearly beloved, when it's time to worship God, we might have had a long, hard week. We might have had troubles and trials. We might have all these circumstances and situations. But the object of our praise on Sundays especially, but anytime we praise, but especially Sunday, is not our circumstances and our situations, but our God. And that takes preparation because we are most frail and sluggish. And sometimes our hearts are so cold and indifferent. So what do we do? We prepare ourselves to approach God. We read Scripture. We pray. We sing psalms and hymns contemplating on the worship, the object of our worship being God. And when we do that, then as servants, we come with gladness and singing in our hearts already there. We don't have to be prepped up or moved or motivated. Most so-called worship today, they've got to motivate them. Let's sing upbeat songs here. Let's sing upbeat songs here. Let's make sure everybody gets up. We got to get them excited. We got to get them motivated. So let's sing those, I'll fly away, oh glory. Get them upbeat and going. And that's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, you come before his presence already with gladness and a song in your hearts. We do God great dishonor when we bring before him a sad and disgruntled heart. Let us be reminded of who He is and what He's done. Though their captives required of them a song, a mirth. That word mirth is gladness. A song of Zion when they were in captivity. Psalm 137. They required of us a song of mirth, of gladness. Yet because they were weeping, 
Verse 1 says that. Because they were weeping, they could not sing the Lord's song in a strange place. Because they were weeping. You cannot praise God with a weeping heart. You cannot praise God with a saddened, distraught heart. You say, is God not aware or concerned about my problems? Yes, He is. Does God not care for me? Yes, He does. Cast all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord delighteth in the prosperity of His servants, the Bible says. Yes, God is extremely, intimately concerned about the welfare of our heart and our minds. But when we come together to worship, God says, You put everything of you aside. Nothing has to do with you. But you lift up praise to me. And we live in a generation that has lost that. When they go into worship, it's all about them. God says, no, when I summoned you to worship, you just worship me and you worship me in gladness and in song and in praise and thanksgiving. That's what true biblical worship is. Look at Psalm 68. Psalm 68 and verse 1. Listen to the psalmist. Let God arise. Let His enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate Him flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melted before the fire, so let the wicked perish in the presence of God. Watch this though. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Sounds like Psalm 100. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. He just talked about their enemies. Let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rideth upon the heavens by His name, Jah, and rejoice before Him. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me tell you something. You want a remedy for a saddened, disquieted, sorrowful heart? It's praise. Are you following? It's praise. When you find yourself in a situation where you feel overwhelmed by cares and troubles and sorrows, you lift up songs of praise. Whether it be Psalm 100 that we sang before, or whether it be a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never wanting. Praise lifts our saddened, burdened hearts out of despair and brings them into the presence of the living God. And who can despair in the presence of the living God? Why do you think the psalmist says, come before His presence with singing? What stirs up, what excites the singing? His presence. So when we come together on Sunday to worship, though we all have troubles and cares, sometimes we're overwhelmed by them. Beloved, listen to the psalmist. Just like when the Lord said about praying, enter into your closets and shut your door. What do you mean by that? Shut the world out. Shut the problems out and bring your prayers before God. Worship is the same way. You leave your troubles and your sorrows outside the door because you've come to worship God. And like Spurgeon said about the deep things of God, sometimes a believer has to go out into the deep things of God and lose themselves to come up refreshed. 
It's about God. Serve the Lord with gladness. The psalmist would have us begin at a humble state. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. No service for the Lord is acceptable, nor worthy of His great goodness, mercy, and faithfulness. Verse 5. When the heart is burdened, down with sadness, trouble, and care. We do great dishonor to God. You say, but preacher, sometimes I'm overwhelmed by my troubles and sorrows. Mm -hmm. But the servant of the Lord learns by God's grace. Remember what I told you about singing praises unto God and thanksgiving? Men can't teach that. Angels can't teach that. God teaches that. The Holy Spirit teaches that. The servant of the Lord learns, I am not going to enter into the presence of my God on a day that He set aside for me to gather with His people to worship His name. I am not going to give Him a praise unworthy of His name. I'm going to lift my praise and my songs up to God. My problems are nothing in His presence. I'm entering into the presence of God. said about Martha in Luke chapter 10. She was cumbered about with much service. Oh, she was working for the Lord. She was doing a lot for the Lord. And where's Mary at? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's, man, she's trying to set the tables, trying to get everything in line. She's trying to make everybody happy and comfortable. Looked over there and seen Mary sitting down on the floor at the feet of Jesus. I went to the Lord and said, Lord, do you not care? The Lord said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. He, he admitted that she was careful and troubled. The Lord knows when we're careful and troubled. He knows that. He knows when you and I approach the Lord's day, He knows that we're careful and troubled. He knows that. He recognizes, yeah, you are. But, He says, but one thing is needful. And one thing is needful for you and I. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. What part was that? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Him. So what do we do? One thing is needful. We leave those cares and those troubles at the door. And we come before God with thanksgiving and praise and singing and gladness. Because it's all about Him. He's the object of all our happiness. Do you know that? God is the object of all our happiness. Psalm 86 said, Rejoice the soul of thy servant. Rejoice the soul of thy servant. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. You see that? He's asking for rejoicing of his soul because it's not rejoicing. He says, For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. You see where he's going? My soul is, but I'm lifting it up to you. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous. Sounds like Psalm 100. And plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Rejoice the soul of my servant, because I'm not rejoicing at the moment. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. 
He's the object of our praise and our thanksgiving. He's the sole object of our enjoyment of happiness, is God. It's God. So God says, I've set one day a week to the side. And I want you to gather together with other believers. And I want you to put all those things behind. And I want you to come into my presence with singing, with a heart full of gladness, knowing that I am your God. I've made thee and not you yourself. You're my people, the sheep of my pasture. And I am good, and my mercy is everlasting, and my truth endureth unto and the burdens f quickly flee and fall off. My fetters fall off, the psalmist said. And we're able to worship God in the beauty of holiness. Beloved, our service to God is not made glad by the circumstances and situations surrounding us. Listen to me, because I can't teach it, but I pray the Holy Spirit of God would move us. Our service to God is not made glad by our circumstances or situations surrounding us, but by our knowing the Lord to be our God. Who's good. Whose mercy is everlasting. And whose truth and faithfulness endureth to all generations. I can't wait till I get to that part. It doesn't say uh, about his truth, his faithfulness. It says it endureth. Why? Because it gets a lot of opposition. Doesn't it? It doesn't say last or will stay or remain. It endureth. Because it gets a lot. Of, but it endureth unto all generations. Do you realize the psalm that we're preaching on this morning? Our forefathers preached on that hundreds of years ago and found great comfort in it. Like I said, they used to call it the old 100th. Our forefathers gathered together on Sundays, burdened by tribulations and trials. Some of them, some of them threatened, their lives were threatened. Some of them would be martyred and killed. And yet they'd gather together around the same psalm I'm preaching to you this morning, the same blessed word of God that endureth unto all generations. And they would lift up that song and their hearts would be encouraged and they would rejoice and praise God. What an amazing blessing that is. Paul says, we live henceforth not to ourselves, but to him that died and rose again for us. We live not henceforth to ourselves. Beloved, all the enjoyment, according to this psalm, and many truths of God, all the enjoyment of our happiness, all the fullness of our joys are found in God. He is the object of our praise and our thanksgiving. He is the object of our singing. God's not telling us that we need to just forget our trials and our troubles. He's not telling us that He's not moved by them. He's not telling us that He's not concerned by our cares. He is. But on this special day, when we're called to worship God, when we come together as God's people in corporate worship, God says, I want you to concentrate and focus on one thing, that I am the Lord your God. 
I have made you and not yourself. You're my people, the sheep of my pasture. All these things are found in and through Christ. This is the enjoyment of our happiness, the fullness of our joy. Therefore, the psalmist begins with serve the Lord with gladness. And then with this gladness or in this gladness, then we are summoned before his presence with singing. Listen to this, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. It's gladness. Gladness which ushers us into his presence that we can sing unto him. We don't approach God with sorrowful and sadful, distrusting hearts. We approach God with gladness. The first three verses of this 100th Psalm are an introduction, a preparation for worship. He doesn't say enter into his gates or enter into his courts until verse 4. Why? Because there has to be a preparation. I've often wished as a pastor that somehow Christians would be moved or stirred to the same amount of study and labor that a pastor does when he's preparing for a sermon. Because if he's a true pastor, it's taking days and hours of prayer and meditation and labor in God's Word. And by the time he stands in the pulpit, if he's a true pastor, he spent literally hours, literally hours, days, meditating on the text. And oftentimes the people of God come into the house of God never having read the Word of God before they came, never having prayed, and if so, just a little, never having sung the songs of Zion to prepare their hearts. And they come in and the preacher labors over the Word and he preaches it with all his hearts. And the people walk away wondering why they left with so little. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Let me tell you something. You want something out of worship service? Prepare yourself. If your hearts are heavy, turn to the Psalms. Lift up a praise, a song unto God. Pray. Like the psalmist said, rejoice the soul of thy servant, for I look unto thee. I look unto thee. Rejoice the soul of Oh God, let me, let me enter into thy presence with thy people this morning with gladness. Let me not become before your presence with sorrowful of heart, for Lord, that doesn't honor you. I want to enter into your presence with singing. I want to enter into your gates with thanksgiving and with praise. Lord, help my sluggish heart. Help me to lift up my praise this morning in a way that honors and glorifies and magnifies thee. There must be a humble preparation of heart and mind. 
these things must be humbly considered and employed, dearly beloved, before our hearts and minds can be brought into that glorious melody of thanks and praise that glorifies God. Singing to the Lord with melody in your heart. New Testament saying melody in your heart. So what do we do? We come into the house of God full of anticipation. Oh man, isn't it amazing? It starts with a servant and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because that's the second point I want to make with this. Not only preparation, but it's also, it starts with a servant, but it ends with corporate worship. But preparation is first. Be not rash with thy mouth, Ecclesiastes 5 says. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Talking about be careful when you put your foot in the house of God. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. What's he meaning? When you enter the house of God, weigh your words wisely. Weigh them well. You have an audience with Prince Charles. Nowadays, a little bit different than what it used to be, but you have an audience with Prince Charles. What do you do? You're going to put on your best attire. You're going to be very nervous. You're meeting royalty, if you have any respect. I know in this new generation, I'll have respect for nothing, but I mean, talking about normal situations, you're going to put on your best attire. You're going to have be filled with anxiety and nervousness you're going to be careful what you say you're going to want to honor and you're going to run to reverence him that's an earthly king Sundays we're called to come into the presence of God as God's people be not rash with your mouth do not utter anything before the Lord without thinking about prepare yourselves so preparation is needed, first three verses. Secondly, all true praise, though it must begin with a servant's song of gladness, like I said, it begins with the servant, must set its goal, its aim, in the culmination of public and corporate praise. Listen to me. We hear every time, a lot of times in this day and age, I don't need to go to church to worship God. No, you don't. You can worship God anywhere you want to. But I'm telling you, God has called on corporate prayer. We sing praises at home. We begin as a servant. Serve Him with gladness. In our homes, we lift up praise. We sing unto God. And then we bring that individual time of prayer and praise together as a corporate. And we lift up our praises to God. And I'm telling you, that's a sweet melody in the ears of God. When His children are unified in worship. I've been really debating and struggling and preparing to preach a message over the perils that are facing the church in these latter days, and they are many, but this is, this is one of them. This is one of the tragedies of this present age. COVID and the isolation that we had to do didn't help it any at all. But people today that profess to be Christians have lost the biblical importance and the spiritual blessings which come from corporate worship. When we as God's people united in hearts and minds lift up our praises to God with thanksgiving 
and gladness and worship Him. That is so glorifying to God. And when we glorify God, just like the old uh, catechism, what is man's chief end? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we glorify God in such a manner, we enjoy God. We come together with our praises. We sing praises unto God. And then when we depart the house of the Lord, we all go enjoying more of God. There's something that's lacking in many churches today in that area. That's why Christians are living defeated lives, I believe, in the world. One reason, anyway, is because they're leaving the house of God with no enjoyment. They're leaving the house of God empty and barren. Our goal of private prayer and praise must be the culmination of that praise in public and corporate worship. Enter into His gates, His courts, and be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Psalm 122, and I'll wind this down for today. Psalm 122. Listen to the voice of the psalmist. I was glad when they, plural, said unto me, let us, plural, go into the house of the Lord. I don't need the house of the Lord. Yes, you do. Our, plural, feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, unity. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, God's people, every race, creed. Under the testimony of Israel, what? To give thanks under the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say peace be within thee. We underestimate the value God himself sets on us dwelling in unity, especially in time of worship. Do you know that? Unity in worship, peace in worship, glorifies God. For my brethren companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, not my God, our God, I will seek thy good. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. He hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and His mercy is everlasting and His truth 
endureth unto all generations. May God bless us every time we gather together. May he bless us with his presence and may we sing praise under his name. May we come with gladness and a song in our hearts for he is the object. He is the source of all our happiness and joy. And may he be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Psalm 100. Lord, we'll never be able to truly know the depths of its divine truths in this lifetime or even in eternity. Lord, it's hard to believe, and yet it excites our hearts to think that praise and thanksgiving shall never grow old in heaven, and it should never grow old on earth. But Lord, we shall praise you and thank you throughout eternity. My Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand, to believe, and to grasp the importance of corporate worship. And Lord, the need for preparing our sluggish hearts to enter into thy presence. Help us, dear Lord God, we pray that we might bring you honor and glory every time we gather together as thy people. And Lord, we thank you that, Father, you've, now, you've led us to have time of prayer before worship. For when I consider that oftentimes it's hard for us to rise our sluggish hearts to truly praise your name, that time of prayer. Lord, what an opportunity it is that we can come before the throne of grace in time of need and find mercy and grace to help us. Oh, what a privilege and honor it is to be able to enter into thy presence in prayer. Lord, how it should, Lord, help us as we begin to praise, so that as we open that first hymn, that first psalm, Lord, our hearts are full of gladness and our hearts have already sung the melody of praise. Oh, dear God, I pray. Help us, Lord God, we pray, to honor and worship you in praise and thanksgiving, to always enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise, to be thankful for you and to bless your name. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for everything.